Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. everyone. New episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday, and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. A few years back, I was doing a Broadway play, and I really wanted to find a way to harness all the passion, love, intelligence that I was surrounded by in the Broadway community and use it for good. At the time, I was really obsessed with voter registration, much like I am now. And together with an actor named Clark Gregg, we decided to create an event. We called it Party for Change. And we thought it would be an event where we would inspire young people to vote and to register them to vote. And it would be a pay-what-you-can-at-the-door sort of event. And we slowly began to plan the evening. And there were some really significant things that happened that night. Aside from the evening itself being a smashingly inspiring success, we had asked Lou Reed and Laurie Anderson to perform. And they did. And that was the night they met and fell in love. And also, it was the night I met and fell in love with someone who was going to become my best friend forever. As I was starting to plan the night, everyone kept telling me, you have to meet Alexandra Styron. If you're doing a political event in New York, she's your go-to person. Well, she was. And Alexandra Styron, who ended up being really instrumental in helping us get many of the speakers that were at the event that night, uh, has gone on to become just an extraordinary best-selling author. And her newest book called Steal This Country is why she's on my podcast today. I've been waiting for a way and an excuse to get her on my show. And I cannot think of a more perfect time to shine a light on this incredible human being, activist, and author. Welcome, Alexandra Styron, to the podcast. A-OK. everyone. My guest today is the best-selling author, Alexandra Styron. Al's works include Reading My Father, a memoir, and the novel All the Finest Girls. Her work has been included in several anthologies, as well as The New Yorker, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, and Vanity Fair. I have read everything she has written because I'm not only a fan of her writing, but because I know Alexandra, who you can tell is known as Al to her friends, since we were roommates in L.A. in an earlier life. But that would be another podcast completely. Yeah. <laughs> so. 
<laughs> we'll tell those stories another time. But the reason I have my magnificent friend here today is that recently she has written a book called Steal This Country. And that is why I asked her to be on this podcast. And that is why I'm so thrilled to share her with you guys, because there could not be a more timely book than the book Al has written. So welcome, Alexandra Styron, to the podcast. Thank you, Alana Levine. I want to do something that's really gross, but I'm going to do it, which is take a little bit of, not credit, but just admit that I was there at the inception of this idea, which I'm very proud of. So yes, maybe you, you can talk a little bit about what the um, the genesis of the idea of this book is and how it was born and why you are sitting in this booth today. Besides the fact that you're one of my dearest friends. Yes. We were both uh, bridesmaids in each other's yeah, weddings, full um, disclosure. Yeah. Separate from that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess I would begin on November 9th, 2016, which was one of the darkest days in American history, in my opinion. <laughs> and my experience waking up the day after the presidential election and um, kind of gutted and devastated by the uh, way the election had turned out and then having, like many of us with school-age children, having to pull myself together and go downstairs and uh, face my children, who at the time were 11 and 13, and who had become um, very engaged in the election process and were super excited about it. I, my daughter was then 11, my son was then uh, 13. And uh, having to come downstairs to two completely devastated children who I came to realize I felt I felt very quickly that um, you know not only were we all uh, dealing with our own um, sadness but I really felt very clearly like uh, we had let the next generation down. I felt like I'd let my children down. I, I felt like I'd made a promise to them of some sort that um, I hadn't been able to fulfill. Um, and even though I wasn't personally responsible, I really actually feel like our generation was asleep at the wheel. And so I did feel responsible. And that led to my sort of um, several months of being sort of in a fog. And in the midst of that, I took my daughter down to the Women's March and got that sort of jolt of joy out of protesting um, and also saw this huge population of young people who were there, teenagers, children, um, people who were fired up, and remembering my own young experiences um, protesting and taking a stand and remembering what that meant to me. And then in the early spring, I was having a hard time working on other stuff. Like a lot of people, I was having a hard time focusing on anything except for what was happening in the world. And I went to my office one day and hung up my coat. And as I was hanging up my coat, I had that kind of proverbial light bulb moment. And I thought, I know what I want to do. I want to write a book for young people to help them acquire the tools to really participate in a kind of resistance movement and in, in citizenship. Um, and I happened to have a dinner date with Alana Levine and Judy Kuhn that night. Um, and I came into the restaurant and I said, you guys, I have an idea. Yep. Um, and that is where it began. Yeah. And Judy and I were like, that's a really good idea. Yeah. And it was. And, you know, it's funny, you just mentioned sort of your own youth. And it is no secret that you are the daughter of the Pulitzer Prize winning novelist William Styron. And your mom, Rose Styron, was really an early advocate and, and nonstop worker for Amnesty International. Right. So 
I've been fortunate enough to be friends with you a very long time and have been welcome at your house for all sorts of dinners and parties. And it is not unusual for there to be a president or a world-renowned author or all sorts of people present at the table having unbelievable conversations about the state of the world. So when you were a very young person, I would say this, and you can say if I'm qualifying it or misqualifying it, that your parents were certainly on the left side of things politically. (laughs) (laughs) You weren't wearing red diapers, but I do feel like they were also incredibly politically active. Your dad was in the center of a conversation when he wrote the the novel Nat Turner, Confessions, the the thing Confession of Nat Turner, which is a whole other conversation about sort of, you know, what we as artists are allowed to take on and, yes. and and can we talk about something that is in our own struggle right. if we feel it deeply and passionately. And and a lot of activism now is um, about people standing up and getting involved in other people's problems. Right, which allyship. Is, yeah. And um, so to that end, I know that you went to Columbia mm-hmm. and I, I know that you were involved, I think, in a sit-in yourself. Yeah. But I, I imagine we can talk about it. But this started early for you, this accountability? Yeah, I mean, certainly modeled by parents who were, you know, sometimes full-time and always part-time social activists. Um, My father, both um, on the page and off the page, you know, he wrote extensively about sort of thematically man's inhumanity to man. He wrote a novel about slavery and he wrote a novel about the Holocaust and he plumbed a lot of important topics. And then, you know, when he wasn't writing, he was often um, agitating for prisoners of conscience and um, free speech and um, civil rights and lots of other very, very important issues. And my mother, yeah, my mother joined uh, Amnesty International when it was a brand new organization in Um, the United States in the early 70s when I was like five. And that led to, um, you know, the sort of second half of her life being passionately uh, devoted to human rights work on all sorts of fronts. So I had great role models. And I did grow up with the incredible privilege of being around other great role models um, and learning values early on that I am glad to have really embraced and I hope am able to pass on to my children. And I think that that's sort of the message. I then, yes, I then went on and I was involved in the um, anti-apartheid, the divestment Right. That was the issue for Columbia. They're investing in South African. Columbia was heavily invested, like many universities in South Africa, uh, in South African businesses. And when I was in college in the mid-80s, it became a cause on college campuses. And really, Columbia was this sort of star um, university for that kind of uh, protest. And um, it was started by uh, 10 students, not me, but um, I quickly joined in and we, you know, shut down the Columbia Quad, you know, in front of um, Hamilton Hall for a couple of weeks. And it worked. Um, And it not only worked, but Columbia ultimately divested. It was something like $32 million, but it had a ripple effect. And that kind of American companies pulling out um, really 
uh, played a huge part in the end of apartheid. And so I got to see firsthand that it it makes a difference, even if you're, you know, a 17-year-old kid and you're, you know, sitting on a sleeping bag in, you know, in front of your college building. Yeah. And I also recall that before the election went so terribly wrong, you took your kids to knock on doors to get voters in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah. We, we did some door-to-door. Can you talk about that? Because uh, we'll get into the book very specifically yeah, yeah, yeah. in all the ways in which young people can do the things that we're about to talk about. And older people yeah. like myself, you know, I read the book and even though I am, you know, just a few years um, <laughs> out of the demographic that yeah. the publishers are hoping will buy yes. the book, um, I find it to be an incredible roadmap for myself in terms of guideposts for me about what I can do, especially as we get exhausted and need yeah. to be reinvigorated and re-inspired. Yeah. And for, for that alone, I treasure the book that you just wrote. What does it mean? You know, people always say, we're going to go to this area that mm-hmm. that really needs, you know, the votes to count yeah. to get our candidate going. What does that mean to really show up with your kids and go door to door? And what was that like? Getting out the vote is, I mean, the wonderful thing is that the, at least the Democratic Party in this area, and I, I really think it's probably true across the country, there are a lot of resources and they're really well organized and they make it really easy for you. So I think people, you know, the thought is a little bit like daunting when you think about it. I'm going to like go, what if I go to a neighborhood and they are, you know, they... Unwelcoming. Yeah. yeah. What, what if they throw a tomato at me or they are mean to my children or, you know, I mean, it or or worse, But in general, the organizers, whether it's Swing Left or the Democratic Party, they're really good at um, helping you to do to be effective. Um, in that particular instance, we drove out to Pennsylvania to a particular area we were told to go to. We had, a, you know, the map. We had the address. They gave us a neighborhood. They gave us a set of streets. And what we were doing in that case was really, um, you know, we ran into some people who didn't w- want us there. Mm. Um, some people weren't so nice. Some people were, you know, polite but. Um, And a lot of people just didn't, you know, know where their polling place was or um, didn't weren't 100 percent sure that they had registered. There were a lot of people who could vote, who were immigrants, who were legal voters, but they were a little intimidated by the process. And so, you know, it's it's wonderful to bring your kids out there, knock on the door and say, are you voting on Tuesday? Do you know where your polling place is? Do you need any help? Is anyone is there anyone here who wants to vote who's maybe has uh, some physical challenges? You know, do we need to help you? Do we need to get a message back that somebody come here Tuesday morning and help you? What time would be good for us to come? Um, so it's it's and information. And it is set up for you to take that information back to HQ somewhere exactly. and it exactly. gets... It gets collated in a way that's useful. You are not, they're not sending you out there to persuade somebody who voted last year for the uh, candidate on the other side to vote for your candidate. They're not expecting you to be a political operative, especially when you're 12. Um, But it's a wonderful thing. And many of those people go, yeah, 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 I got it. But every fifth person may say, oh, is it Tuesday? And, you know, then you've done your job. And that's fantastic. And it's a great lesson Mm. in civics for your children. It's just a wonderful thing to give your children the opportunity to participate in and realize how much it matters. So once you decided to write this book and really figure out how to sort of um, chapter by chapter unleash information into the universe that will be useful and helpful wherever you live, what were the 
areas that you thought, I'm going to deep dive into these topics. These seem to be the ones that Mm -hmm. will be the most useful. And I'm writing one book. Maybe there will be another volume in the future. How did you even decide where to begin? And what were the ones that you chose to really focus on? So I had a very tight uh, time schedule to write this book. Um, the we had dinner. We had dinner. And it was due the next day. <laughs> I was like, no dessert for you, Styron. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, it was, I, I, you know, I went, signed the contract. I went in to meet with the publisher and had sort of, you know, toddling in there thinking, you know, oh, this is going to be great. And I, I, you know, I think if I, I think if I worked really hard, I can do this in a year. And, you know, and then I, that'll give me time to like get all these kind of, I want to get to see if I can get Chance the Rapper and, you mm-hmm. know, maybe, um, you know, Lady Gaga will want to do it. like, you know, whatever I thought, whatever, I, whatever whoever I thought was going to jump on. They were going to weigh in. To participate in my book. But yes. I, you know, I knew that, that that kind of thing took a while. But anyway, I thought a year I could probably do it. And I walked in and they were like, so we're thinking we'd like you to, does three months feel like, a, you know, that that's when we'd like you to have the manuscript in. And I, you know, nearly fell off my chair because I had what I proposed was a book with a lot of moving parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to look at the history of protest movements and I wanted to highlight organizations that were doing great youth-led work. And I wanted to interview experts in the field. I wanted to interview youth activists and I wanted to do a deep dive into lots of different subjects. And I wanted to go after sort of all the different ways that you can be, um, you can participate in social activism. So I had all of those ideas, and I had put them all into my pitch, which was a very rushed um, book proposal. But I had a gajillion ideas, um, and they wanted me to do all of that in three months by myself, Mm -hmm. which was a disaster in the making. I did get it done in five months. I got someone I got, I hired a research assistant who happens to be my niece, who's an extraordinary person, and we got it done. But I was limited in pages and I was limited in time. Um, But I managed in there to do something I really wanted to do, which was to explore for kids in the, in the middle of the book, I called it what we talk about when we talk about climate change, LBGTQ rights, uh, women's rights, immigration, religious understanding, um, and racial justice. The book went to print at the moment, practically, that uh, Nicholas Cruz walked into the Parkland uh, to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School and shot 27 people. And the result of that tragedy was this extraordinary um, youth movement that we all saw, which confirmed my hunch that young people were engaged and excited and mad and ready to, you know, participate and to uh, start shaping the conversation for the next generation and for the next era. But I was sadly not able to include um, gun control in the book, although I was able to kind of grab the manuscript back and and put in a few uh, bits and pieces. Right. Well, the thing that's remarkable to me when you talk about what your initial pitch was mm-hmm. and and then given the time frame, sort of how you reconsidered very thoughtfully, because it may not be Chance the Rapper or Lady Gaga, but it is 
B.D. Wong and Lena Dunham and Mayim Bialik and, and a million other really well-known activists who who young people admire and look up to from yeah. from all aspects of the entertainment industry and, and basketball players and, and on and on. So actually, not that that's the most important part of the no, book, no. but you have incredible input from a lot of people in the community who are respected, who weigh in on why Shailene Woodley. Woodley, you know, Woodley, Woodley? Yeah, Shailene Woodley. I really loved Pretty Little Liars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's yeah. another and, That's another story. And she's an incredible activist. And yes, I don't mean in, in any way to, I'm, I'm, thrilled with the people. No, that's that what I, I'm saying. Yeah, like, yeah. it's funny to me that when you said to. what you thought you couldn't do, you actually did it. Yeah. And, and you have been able to. Also, there's like really amazing when you guys buy the book, like there's aspects of it that feel and read like a graphic novel. And there's tremendously talented people who contributed uh, cartoons to it. Like, yeah. like visually, it looks it looks so inviting. And, and so much like what, you know, I've teenage kids, right. which is remarkable at my age, I know. But that's another episode, why I was so young when I had my children. Yeah, me too. Right? Exactly. That's how we met. Right. Um, we were on Teen Moms together. I, I feel like you've captured so much what the stuff young people like to read looks like, from the cover to, to the setup of the whole thing. It is so well organized. It's sort of the perfect thing to pick up and go like, I want to do something today. This is what I care about. I look in the index. It shows me on page 42. Oh, this is my issue and how to begin. And so beyond who to write letters to or who to call, which is, of course, important. But it talks about how to literally like, how do you start a protest? How do you how do you organize a march for your schoolmates? How do, in very um, sort of revolutionary ways and then in very kind of gentle ways of how to be involved, depending on where you are in the spectrum of of activism. Baby steps are like huge dive right into the thing and how to rally your community to get involved in the things and and how to find the grownups in your life to help you do it. You know, speaking of Parkland, there was here in New York City, the the very famous park called Washington Square Park held uh, a rally for started and organized by high school students here in New York City. And Emma Gonzalez was there and all of these incredible adults and young people were there. And even though it wasn't sort of a sanctioned New York Department of Education event, Mm -hmm. and some have been. There were walkouts that were sanctioned. There was a general understanding that this was really important, and this was a way to gather with other people your age and voice your unbelievable outrage uh, about gun control laws in in our country. Oh, and it was also... Through the grapevine, I heard that some of the Parkland high school teachers were going to be present Mm -hmm. and speaking. And my daughter went to her science teacher and said, I know that we're supposed to have a quiz on Friday. I really want to go to this march. I feel like it's really important for me to be there. Mm -hmm. And her teacher said to her, I can't tell you to go or not go. Mm -hmm. That's not something I'm sanctioned to do, but I will tell you that I will not be able to give you the test another time Wow! if you leave. Mm -hmm. And so for the first time, my kid was in this situation where she had to decide, 
she was going to get a zero yeah. on a test that was meaningful yeah. for her final grade. Mm-hmm. And here was, and she was like, you know, I've heard teachers from Parkland are going to be there. And this woman would not bend. And mm-hmm. George was like, can I come at 7 a.m. Yeah, and take right. the test? She's like, no, because, you know. So she went anyway. Mm-hmm. And she got not as good a grade yeah. in that class. Yeah. And that's on her transcript forever. Yeah. And that was the beginning of her making a decision to sacrifice something that was really mm-hmm. important to her. She's obsessed with grades yeah. and works really hard. And much of you know, her identity is wrapped up in doing well. Yeah. And if she doesn't get the best grade, it's not for lack of trying. Right. And so that was kind of a remarkable moment in her maturity. Yeah. And I think that's what these kids are up against. That is a very luxurious thing to have to compromise compared to what sure. other people are going well, through. Well, that's the that's the lesson, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're helping your child decide or letting them decide if they're going to participate or not, um, that's one of the things that we want to kind of say to them. Think of all the sacrifices, the tremendous sacrifices made by uh, young people who don't have this privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and these opportunities. And these opportunities. So you decide how important it is to you. Um, you know, when you think of chil- the children who have fought and died for their own right. And uh, I would also say to Georgia mm-hmm. um, something which uh, which got which was uh, got a laugh at an event um, I've done with the book with some of my participants and was also completely right on. Um, Lizette Diaz, who is a dreamer, who participated uh, in my book and works at the ACLU. Um, when asked a question from the audience about, from a parent, about how do we help our children navigate this particular, specifically what you're talking about, about, you know, there being consequences to um, walking, walking out. Yeah. yeah. And, and she said, you know what? It'll make a really good college application. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Well, she's done it many times since then. Did I did but, I say just once? <laughs> you know, it's no, true. it's true. I but, mean, you know, yeah. make 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 lemonade, right? You know, out of lemons. You just mentioned dreamer, which is which is a word that you and I understand mm-hmm. in sort of DACA and sort of what certain what the dreamer title was born out of. But can you even just talk about that, illuminate it for those who aren't sure what you mean? Sure. So the DREAM Act was an act which President Obama created, which would allow um, young people who came here I can't remember. I can't remember the specific dates. I don't have them in front of me. But the idea being that if you had arrived here before a certain year and you were under making you at the time that it, the law was enacted, which was, you know, eight years to, ago, under 30, um, meaning that you had come here often, you know, as an infant right. or two or five or even 12, that you were that it created an opportunity for you to stay that you that even though you were not a legal citizen you were uh, it was you were grandfathered in and you had an op- there was a path to citizenship for you it was available you would it, it would require you to register to sort of you know say i'm here that um the system would support you because you were for all intents and purposes uh, having brought, been brought here as a child by your parents you were an american citizen and we want you as an american citizen we want you to stay um dreamers you know the statistics on dreamers are all you know wildly positive you know they're they're their contributions, huge contributions are enormous, to, of course to our workforce and 
into society and, you know, they're law-abiding citizens and they're, you know, they're just, you know, in general, they're like really a pretty terrific population of young people. The complex and terrifying thing that happened after Donald Trump became elected is that he has he's threatened the DREAM Act and has wanted to um, get rid of it entirely. And those young people who trusted the government and allowed themselves to be registered are now, uh, they, they can now be found mm-hmm. and they can now be deported theoretically, um, depending on how this fight plays out. I want to talk about the title, Steal This Country, and it's a guidebook to activism, resistance, and... So the full title is Steal This Country, a handbook for uh, resistance, persistence, and fixing almost everything, although the original title... Can I swear on? Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> the original title was Steal This Country, a handbook for resistance, persistence, and fixing all the shit your parents' generation broke. Fair enough. Um, and I've actually had stickers made up, and my current act of resistance is putting the old title back on the front of the There book. you go. Even us grown-ups can do these things. Yeah. So based on or inspired by Abby Hoffman's book. Right, Steal This Book. So, so for those of... You who don't know, can you talk a little bit about him and what that book was and why it's such a perfect title for for to to then sure so Abby Hoffman was um a famous rebel and kind of a prankster. He was actually part there there was a a kind of group um in the mid sixties called the Merry Pranksters, and he really sort of specialized in sticking his thumb in the eye of authority. He was a real radical at a time when young radicals could also actually be kind of dangerous. And he, among other things, he invited a lot of young people who were followers of the um, anti-Vietnam, the peace movement, to come to the 1968 Chicago Convention, which, um, as many people know, turned violent. And uh, there were riots and um, a lot of people got hurt. And Abby Hoffman and six other people who became known as the Chicago Seven were arrested um, and jailed, put on trial, and were spent some time in jail. And while Abby Hoffman was in jail, he was um, charged with inciting riot. He was in, in charge with inciting riot, and 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 it was it had specifically to do with uh, uh, going across, bringing people across state lines. Mm. And so while he was in jail, he, so that's what they got him on. Yeah, like that's the, that, the that technicality. Was the, that that they got was him the on. charge, right? And he did all sorts of anarchic, and you know, he continued to rebel even during his um, court appearances. It, which was great because, you know what, doing that kind of stuff. Um, and I actually had a whole chapter in the back of the book, which I had to cut just because of space, based that was focused on pranksters throughout the ages, like the ways that you can kind of actually, you know, it's great to get attention by by doing things that are kind of ridiculous, you know, the way Banksy does with his art. Or streakers, like through the Oscars, there was a time where like right. someone would streak to make a political <laughs> right, statement. Right, right. Or the giant Trump baby, you know, floating in the air. You know, there are there are ways that you can get attention by making a, a people think in a in a more satirical way or, you know, more shocking way. Anyway, while and that part of that um, idea was played out by Abby Hoffman while he was in jail, he began writing what became Steal This Book, which was basically a kind of anarchist handbook. And, you know, the book was sort of went way out there on the edge in a way that I specifically in the introduction of my book sort of tell kids, I'm I'm not sure that I think this is such a 
super terrific idea, like don't go blow anything up. Sure. But the message is that, you know, sometimes uh, you have to do something wrong in order to do something right. And as, you know, the great congressman John Lewis, uh, civil rights hero, says uh, you have to make good trouble. And Abby Hoffman specialized in making good trouble. You know, I recently did an event where I interviewed Jason Robert Brown live at City Center, and it was on the eve of him releasing an album called How We React and How We Recover, because the way you woke up the morning that Trump had been elected, he woke up the morning Trump had been elected, and had to go to like a girl's school where his daughter was basically auditioning to get into, you know, this prep school. And he realized he had to sing at a Kristen Chenoweth concert that night. And he was like, I I cannot sing anything that I know. And he ended up sitting down and writing this song, which became the the title song of this album. And it led to a whole conversation. Uh, I I led a, a panel at Broadway Con called Artists and Activism that, you know, you're an author who, I mean, when I knew you, you were an actress for two seconds, and it right. became wildly clear that that was a diversion that was keeping you from your true gift and calling, which was to be a writer. And it's no small thing when you have a parent who really uh, rose to the top in, in any chosen field that we are scared to go for it ourselves and sure. might need a moment to go around the corner right. before going, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing, and right. I'm not going to let my last name actually stop me from what I love to do. Right. And that we talk a lot about sort of in the face of such anguish and despair and frustration, how do we, what can our part be? Yeah. How can we in some small way fill fill this bucket, you know, drip by drip? And right. for him, it was this album. And for you, it was taking a moment to stop working on the thing. Or, or as you stated earlier, you could not concentrate on the book you right. were meant to write right. because there was this desire to create a call to action that has in fact, been exactly what you created. Right. And I envy the fact that you were able to kind of find a way for yourself to really go, you know what, I don't know how to solve this on a global level, but I can actually put something in front of young people who are now the people we are passing the baton to in a way. I know, I, I think... What was so hard about the morning after the election for many of us, it was the it was like a real loss of innocence. It was the first time our kids went to bed where we had promised them yeah. one thing, and then we had to look them in the eye yeah. in the morning and go, I know I said it was going to be Hillary Clinton. Right. I, I, I wasn't lying to you. I, right. I don't—I myself oh, so don't know what's it, happening. It was scary, I think, depending on how old your kids are. I, I mean, you know— I know that I know you did because I talked to you. But, you know, I think both the effect of what happened was frightening because we had I mean, if you'd educated your kids and exposed them to all of the issues like then it was like, so does this mean we're going to go to war? Are we like are we going to die? You know, Mm -hmm. like what does that mean, you know, to a kid when when something so monumentally wrong happened? Um, And also it's scary to see your parents be that vulnerable. I mean, and what I was going to say is I know because I talked to you that, like, thank God it was a school day because I needed to get them out the door so that I could cry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, you know, like, it's scary stuff for kids. And But, you know, I just, you know, would say that I'm very lucky that I was able to find a way to um, do something that really is meaningful to me for the last uh, year and a half that made me feel like I was 
making contribution and made me wake up in the morning really fully invested in what I was doing all day and that, that my, I got to combine my job with what I really wanted to do, which was to fight back. However, most of us don't have that luxury. And frankly, I'm done with this book and I'm going to do some other things that aren't related to this book, but I'm still going to be an activist. And the message I wanted to give to young people and give to all, you know, obviously give to all grownups, there are so many ways to participate and we all can play our part. And some of us have really challenging lives and need other people to take up the the call for us. And that's some for some of us, we're proxies. We're doing the work that other people um, simply can't do. And then there are lots of us who are have very busy lives and lots of commitments. But you know what? We do have an extra hour a day to make it part of your daily diet to participate. And I think, you know, in my book, it's geared towards children, but it, as you said, I mean, it can be translated to adults. You know, there are just so many ways that you can say, I am going to go to the gym, I'm going to do my work, I'm going to take care of my family, and I'm going to find an hour of every day instead of, you know, looking at my Instagram to to do, there, there are lots of ways, whether it's, you know, before an election, phone banking, which you can do from home. You can uh, canvas for uh, on a Saturday afternoon. We need to get out the vote. Um, but there are lots of other ways, big and small, that you can participate. And you can do it from home. You can do it online. You can become, you can figure out social enterprise. You can, you know, do you know how to knit? You can c- take what you know how to do and commit it to something that you're, that actually makes a difference in the world and put your brick on the wall <laughs> that we're building that is leading us, you know, not keeping people. Out, but leading us, you know, uh, up high to a better place. Well, I just want to read something quickly that actually I am a fan of the Big Bang Theory, mm-hmm. little yeah. television show you may or may not be aware of. Mm-hmm. It seems to be doing quite well. <laughs> I saw um, here. But Mayim Bialik, who's one of the stars of that show, wrote, I've been waiting for this book, meaning Steal This Country by Alexandra Styron, since I was a socially active and angry teen. As I looked upon a world, I wanted to change but didn't know how to do it. I wanted resources that explain the movements of this country, and I wanted to know how I could be an active and meaningful part of them. Thank you, thank you, Alexandra Styron, for the book I plan to give to all the young people I know, starting with my sons. Still, this country will inspire you to invoke in yourself the passion of youth, and ultimately it can restore all our faith in the possibility for change. I feel like... um, Pretty nice for... (laughs) Yeah, I feel like what greater clarity in writing could there be about why this book is so important? Um, Where, what are... So first of all, uh, I have even more time because I don't go to the gym in the morning. So, um, and and you know that. (laughs) So I, I have no excuse. It's much more than an hour a day. But when I am on Instagram, I've been following the world of your book, and there are inspirational quotes every day that Al puts up on Instagram for your the teen or tween in your life, and also really like helpful what you can do today sort of thing. So that's at Steal This Country, and yeah. it's also at Steal This Country on Twitter. Yes. Uh, no, it's it's actually Al Styron one A L S T Y R O N one. Um, is the Twitter is is my Twitter feed, um, but my Instagram that the Instagram for the book is Steal This Country. Yeah, 
And it's on Amazon and... And all your local bookstores and indie uh, indie books. So this is my my charge to all of you is to find a way to uh, steal this book. and Don't steal it. Buy it. <laughs> I mean, steal this country. <laughs> and I know if you're like me, you know, Al and I are in the booth shortly after Kavanaugh actually was sworn in to the Supreme Court. And so all of us had to take a moment this week because we all feel like we were kicked in the stomach yeah. really, really hard. And that happens, too. That's yep. part of every revolution. Yes. There are setbacks. And, yeah. and, and um, I will say also on that note, um, before we saw where this was uh, ultimately going, um, I, I want to just uh, draw your attention back to those two uh, incredible women, one of whom was, you know, only 23 years old. Who stopped Jeff who, Flake in the elevator. Who confronted Jeff Flake in the elevator and convinced him to go back into that room and ask for a one-week delay for an FBI investigation, whether or not that investigation was thorough and whether or not things turned out the way we want. That was one of the great object lessons in the power of protest, yeah. in, the, in courage and in just going, you know what, one person— Two people, you don't have to be um, trained. You, all you have to do is care. You can make a huge difference. And you know what? That went viral. Yeah. And that's all over the world. Yeah. And that is a voice, and those are faces that we can be really proud of yeah. as Americans. Yeah. So, Alexandra Styron, thank you so much for being my friend, for being such a prolific, beautiful writer, and for writing something that is so timely and important. And can't wait for you to come back and for us to sort of talk about what the next chapter in all our lives is around this subject. So, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Alana. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast, and on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc.